Hello everyone and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. Encrypted is the Middle East's first and largest podcast dedicated to blockchain and crypto. I'm your host, Ahmed Al-Balaghi, and in today's episode, we have Mark Balanev, who's the CEO of EduChain. In this episode, we take a deep dive into the world of education and how blockchain is helping solve high levels of inefficiencies in the industry. Mark walks us through how they help enable students and graduates to passport and transfer their results for use with jobs, further education and government. But before we jump in, I really would like to thank those who have been supporting the show. And remember, you could support us in any way possible. You could subscribe, rate and review the show, sharing the podcast on your social media and any other way you feel like supporting. We hope you enjoy the podcast as much as we did. And thank you very much. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Encrypted. My name is Ahmed al Balaghi, and I'm coming to you from Aero 2071 here in Dubai. And with me is my co-host, Nick Watson. Say hello. Hello. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm very well. I can't wait to iftar. Another, I think, another hour and a half left. And today we have a special guest, Mark Belovnev. Say hello. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So you're the managing director of EduChain and the founder of EduChain. Could you quickly give a background about yourself first for those who don't know you? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So you hit the nail right in the head there. I'm the managing director of EduChain. And actually the story of my kind of engagement in crypto and blockchain goes way back, actually back to 2010 where we were running the sort of first original exchanges. Before you had any sort of formalization of a trading of Bitcoin, we were matching different markets like Bijiachi and, uh, and other markets in China with uh, traders in North America. And so we had basically agents across multiple countries closing different deals, and that was all done manually. So we were the kind of original exchanges and traders um, back in the day. Oh, and, I did not know uh, that. What's that? <laughs> I did not know that. Analog world. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that, that was a, kind of the first exposure we had to Bitcoin and crypto. And back then, it was a really novel concept. A lot of people were very excited about it. But, uh, you know, it plateaued for some time. It was about $200, $250. And nobody ever thought it was going to hit $1,000 again after the original peak and the original craze. So we kind of tapered off our engagement there. I went back to more traditional areas of, of work. Uh, I have a finance background myself. So I spent some time working in Europe fintech, actually, financial technology, working with enterprises, so different corporates, banks, and helping them collaborate with uh, financial technology startups yep. and uh, create those connections, which back then as well, this was a few years back, was a pretty novel concept, you know, startups yeah. trying to work with uh, enterprise. And as a result of that kind of work, blockchain uh, rolled around, you know, in about 2015, early 2016, as a new innovation in uh, the financial sector at the time. And we thought that was really interesting. And personally, I was kicking myself for not seeing it earlier because the writing was really on the wall there. But it took a lot of smart people quite some time to figure out that this could be applied in other areas and other sectors. And as a result, we decided to get into that space. We consulted some uh, European banks on blockchain technology out there in the early stages and decided to uh, create our own thing, to to go the extra mile and uh, build something based on this technology that could actually create value. And that's how the idea of EduChain came about in uh, 2016. And from there, we've just seen uh, a lot of success, a lot of projects, and uh, really... 
exponential rise in the sort of awareness and adoption of both uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies, uh, which I think is really great. Great. And so you said in 2016, EduChain was conceived. Could you quickly explain what problem you're solving and what EduChain is about? Sure. So I guess as an additional backdrop, like, like I said, we worked uh, internationally with a lot of different companies, a lot of different traders back then. I as well, I, I was based in Canada, but I spent some time in South America. I lived in Brazil, Europe, Asia, uh, now the Middle East, of course. And one thing that I noticed it was that traveling around was quite complicated. If you're applying for a job or going for a visa, especially with concerning your credentials or any sort of identification, things like this, you always had to go to one embassy, another embassy, a testing authority, notaries, any, any kind of information like your academic background, you would always have to get attested. Right? And you'd have to constantly go around with pieces of paper and try to prove that you studied this program or did the certification in order to be able to work at a particular job or get a particular visa. And so that was a kind of the initial thought behind EduChain, yep. which is essentially looking at helping people be able to move around, so international mobility, job opportunities, research opportunities, that sort of ability to move around the world just as easily as you do with your passport, but with your academic credentials and your academic background as well. All right, and I remember seeing a lot of projects come about, and I can't remember the names, but what made you guys stand out to actually go out and work with you know, different institutions and different clients. What what was your edge in 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 that respect? Well, frankly, uh, one of the biggest things back then was uh, really timing, because when we started, education wasn't even really considered a use case, and that's quite a juxtaposition to what you see now with mm -hmm. the explosion of different um, companies in the space, of governments getting involved, of different projects emerging, different reports, all talking about how blockchain can herald a revolution in education. Um, but back then, even when we first came to Dubai here, to where we're sitting now, through Smart Dubai, that wasn't even a use case on their agenda. So they they brought us as one of the first companies under the Dubai blockchain strategy. And I vividly remember sitting there and seeing uh, the first presentation they ever gave to us and education wasn't even up there. <laughs> uh, we're looking at blockchain and financial technology and supply chain and all of this. Yeah. And uh, there was nothing there to do with education. So we were one of the first that uh, really spotted that as a an angle. And it was also because of that timing that we were able to get an edge by basically getting to production, getting things implemented, getting projects much faster than we would have, let's say, in finance or many other industries, which are really hampered by regulation, governance issues, getting people to work together. So we had an edge in that sense that we found the right use case, we found the right fit, and we were there when the timing was right. And so from there, everything just sort of fell into place. What was the use case, the, the one you ended up going with? So the original use case was the academic passport. So one of the byproducts of being able to digitize your academic history, self-sovereign identity, digitizing all of this is that basically you can look beyond just one credential, you know, one digital diploma, and you can actually look at having all of your academic accomplishments throughout your entire learning journey all attached to one singular digital identity. Right, which means that now from K to 12 to higher education to professional certifications, I can have that all manageable you know, by myself and I can choose selectively what kind of documents I want to share with whom and using what medium and how I want to share those. So that was the original concept and that was what we pushed, which was called the academic passport. And uh, most recently, uh, United Arab Emirates University here became the, the most uh, prolific, I think, implementation of this 
implementing it for all of their students and, and alumni, um, which is really the first of its kind implementation at scale of that concept. All right, so you, you talked about digital identity. So you creating an academic passport for the students. And let's use sort of Dubai as an example because it's being implemented as we speak. So is the academic passport a new identity, a new sort of form of digital identity for um, these students? Or is it linked to sort of the, the ID, that the, the Emirates ID that, that we have here? Yeah, well, one of the things that we did here is we left the door for digital identity fairly open, you know, because uh, we, mm. we didn't want, want to mandate that uh, we would particularly use, let's say, our digital identity. Yeah, we didn't yeah. want to play that role necessarily. So even early on here, a lot of it was tied around the digital identity that schools already had implemented, uh, you know, with the uh, AAD Azure and, uh, and so forth, or uh, student identities, like student IDs and things like this. And uh, it was particularly for that purpose, in order, in order to be able to integrate down the road with things like UAE Pass, with these uh, fledgling initiatives in digital identity, so that eventually in the future you can have everything in one place. And let's say to your national mm-hmm. UAE uh, Pass, you can have your health records, your academic records, and uh, so forth. For, for anybody who's not fully up to speed on EduChain, can you just explain what happens when you have digital issuance of the certificate or the, the, the academic capacity? And what happens when you have an old world where you have a certificate paper world? Are you digital twinning it? How are you handling those scenarios? Yeah, so in a nutshell, basically one of the major things that we do is uh, we provide interfaces for regular people like you and me to interact with blockchain technology for a particular purpose, right? In this case, we're talking about digital credentials. So what we do is we create interfaces or applications for universities, for schools, so that administrators are able to issue these documents uh, to students and alumni. You have uh, an interface or a wallet for those recipients, like the students and alumni that are able to manage those documents and share them with recipients. And you have different types of gateways ways and portals for those recipients to be able Mm. to verify those documents against the the blockchain uh, in this case. And so those interfaces are what make it a lot easier, you know, because generally blockchain is fairly abstract. We're trying to condense that into traditional applications or things that users can recognize and understand to create that sort of journey for issuers, recipients, and validators that they can operate in this new digital world. Now, for the second part, you were talking about how does this sort of face off against, let's say, the traditional way of doing things, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so uh, with regard to that, we can see that there's definitely been a shift in sentiment. Even a few years ago, it was quite challenging to get people to rally behind this new technology. But now I think that there's a lot more push, both from the top, you know, from the government level, but also generally from the general perspective of employers and users that there is a value there, an immediate value, right, that I can get as an administrator issuing those documents, as a student that's able to have increased mobility and opportunities with these digital documents, all the way to an employer who doesn't have to either validate physical documents, ask for attestations, phone in and verify information with administrators. There's a, there's a value out there that's pretty difficult to resist. And so over time, we've seen that that's becoming more and more prevalent. So the credential itself, does it start as a digital 
Mm. Does it start out as a digital trace or is a custodianship of the, the initial paper version that gets printed and then posted to everybody? Uh, they have another version, they just they just digitize it. Well, the, the way you can think of it is that everything that we have in the world is pretty much digital already, right? Like every every government, every corporate, every academic institution already has all of this data stored somewhere, right? In the cloud, uh, in their environment, on their servers. But this data is already digital. The issue is that when you go to export that data or share that data, that's being printed, right? So yeah. we're basically printing that onto a piece of paper, and that, that's what gets sent to the student. Yeah. In this case, we're just creating a new process. You can imagine it as a conveyor belt. Let's say I have my database, and I have one conveyor belt that assembles that data and prints that into a document, sends it to the student. Mm -hmm. I simply add a new conveyor belt, which is a new process that does the same thing digitally, right? So it assembles that information, it uh, signs it, stamps it, envelopes it, except this process is now digital, right? And so now you have the benefit of having two of those options for this uh, particular use case. Okay. And so what about the, the actual, so if we were to look at the technology from a high level, what blockchain are you guys actually deploying for EduChain, is it sort of is it multi, is it different blockchains for different clients? Is it one blockchain for a particular region, or you know you have to maybe choose something because smart device, you know, working on that particular blockchain? How do you guys actually choose which technical infrastructure that you're using? Is it because of client demand, or is it because of what you think is best for that particular use case? I think it's a mix of both. And, and so we work primarily with Hyperledger Fabric and Ethereum, and it goes hand in hand, both, both from, of course, uh, the customer demands or user demands, and also from working with uh, what we see is uh, the most developed or most prevalent uh, in the environment and ecosystem. So um, generally, we, we work with both. And we like both for different reasons, right? So Hyperledger Fabric makes makes a lot of sense in the, from and from an enterprise perspective, from a government perspective, and you can definitely see some of the push from there. Ethereum has a lot of value when you look at programmability, uh, immutability. So so we really don't tie ourselves to anything uh, okay. in particular, and we look at the underlying frameworks as something that's always moving, it's always transient, right? it's always in development. And so what we focus on is also not just the, the blockchain layer, but also the application layer in terms of how can we translate these abstract concepts, these blockchain frameworks and blockchains themselves into something that actually is valuable for a user. And you're storing all the certificate data, the, the metadata that comes with it, on-chain. Uh, and depends, it's depends. Yes, exactly. So it depends on the type of certificates. So you have some that are stored on chain, looking at things like IPFS as well for others. In some cases, you have some information that's anchored off chain. So it's um, generally pretty um, variable or, or flexible in the approach. Yeah. And when you say Ethereum, is it public or private implementation? Public. public. Oh, okay. So public. And right. then what would you store on the public Ethereum network? Well, when it comes to uh, public networks, so what you can do is like, one of the general developing standards is something like a JSON file or something like this with particular information. This works pretty well with things like certificates where uh, you have a name, you have a, a program or something like this. When you get into uh, more complex documents, identity and additional metadata, we don't store that on-chain. Okay, in enterprise, this is where you are, where are you getting most of the traction? So not, not just government, but you're getting a lot of traction out of large training organizations, events companies, these types of people who are issuing certificates of, a, of any sort of nature. You pass the course. How, where do you see in that sort of consumery mm. uh, enterprise space? 
Uh, I think that the demand is a pretty uniform actually across the board. I mean, I think it's largely in part due to the large media coverage that blockchain has gotten. So there's been a sort of uniform sweep of uh, awareness of blockchain. I would say that generally, if you look at, let's say, corporate training programs or things like this with an enterprise, that might lag a little bit behind areas like academic institutions, which have their their own networks and their own groups that they chat with and think that the understanding and the awareness is a bit higher there. In other places like government, you have examples where there is understanding, but there's a bit of mismatch between understanding and implementation in terms of uh, converting that knowledge and awareness into something that's actionable. So, well, you know, around the world, everything's developing at different speeds, but I think academic institutions right now have seen a huge uh, uptick in both awareness and implementation. Based on your experience globally, where, where do you see moving faster? Mm-hmm. I think Dubai still retains like, a precious spot in our focus. So we see a lot of work happening in Dubai and it's still where we see uh, the most activity, at least let's say from our perspective in our spaces. I think Europe is doing quite well as well. They, they've picked up recently. Notable examples are uh, Netherlands, where they have a whole spectrum of different use cases being driven by government, being driven by corporates, also like triple helix collaboration, so engaging all aspects from government, from corporates, from the academic side. So you have a lot of uh, notable examples around the world, but for for us, I think uh, definitely Europe and the Middle East and this this region is leading the pack. And for anybody who's actually listening in on the podcast that's in the academic Mm. space or issuing certificates, Mm. um, what is the process? How does it work to go from, you know what, we should try this, what would they do? Would they just call you up or they submit? They, how do they do this? Yeah, give us a call. Right. And I, what's the I, process yeah. normally? What, what do they have to go through to well, get to a point where you go say, yes, yeah. let's work together? It's a pretty typical process. It's, it's like with anything, like whether I'm a corporate or an academic institution or a government, there, there's, of course, the initial interest, right? So we see that there's a lot of people that are interested in the technology, and this is usually where it gets its early champions, right? So from people who are hobbyists, who are interested in the technology, who have an understanding of that, and they can take that back to their organizations uh, and push internally for that kind of uh, change and so forth. So whether that manifests in the form of a POC or proof of concept, the most important is to sort of get your feet wet and uh, start playing around with the technology, even on a small scale or even in a kind of closed off instance, to start to understand what is the potential, right? Because uh, as I was kind of alluding to earlier, earlier, it's one thing to understand what the technology is. It's another thing to to implement it, right? Because there's a whole variety of different uh, variables and factors that are inevitably going to come up. And I think that's the most important is just to kind of get your feet wet and see how that could hold value for you. And who who do you find inside the enterprise, the organization you're going to work with is the the, the key, the, the person that's most excited that will drive it, get the adoption internally from the management teams? Well, like I said, it's actually the hobbyists, right? So it's people who generally have some sort of understanding of what blockchain is. It's not always the innovation manager, right? So it manifests, it manifests itself in different ways, right? So there's... Um, Interesting. There, there's like a lot of, regardless of where you look at there, there's always different types of challenges and priorities internally. And so if, if you're looking for early adoption, let's say, or early champions, uh, it's not always you know, necessarily one particular position because you know, maybe they have a lot on their plate. And we've had those circumstances where blockchain is just too far down the roadmap. And so you look at other 
more conventional ways of kind of initiating discussions um, because sometimes you do have those challenges internally where you kind of get stonewalled and as a result we found that a kind of multi-pronged approach uh, works best. It's usually finding those people who are interested and using that as a way in to uh, get the discussion started and that's the same for them. Like they, they want to see something happen and they're usually those drivers of uh, innovation in those organizations. Yeah, similar to Talal's adventure when he got his POC with Al-Halal Bank. Yeah. This was a couple of episodes ago. Okay, interesting. So I, I wanted to sort of, now we said, okay, you, you've explained the, the sort of high-level technical stuff on the blockchain side. Um, you've went in about how you've actually dealt with enterprise and sort of the different drivers. You also talked a bit about building the interface with the end consumer as well. So you're basically tackling this not on just sort of a blockchain level, but also building the, the front end or the user experience application side for the end consumer as well, for them to actually have sort of a full range support. Well, that's the most important, right? right? Yeah. I mean, nobody cares what blockchain is, right? Yeah. Uh, on, on a user perspective, right? I don't, or I shouldn't, let's put it this way. I shouldn't engage because blockchain, right? Yeah. I should engage because there's a demonstrable value add or new let's say, digital process or way that I can either enhance, reduce, or eliminate particular processes, uh, mm-hmm. redundant processes in my organization. Or as an end user, it has to bring some sort of value. It's, it's, that's why we try to, not let's not take it from a technical commitment or the way we yeah. allocate our resources. It's, it's not so much that we don't focus on blockchain, yeah. but definitely from the user perspective, what I'm trying to say is we really focus on that end result, right? Yeah. We're trying yeah, to yeah. focus on the actual value that it delivers and not getting lost in you know the technical details and things like that, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense, So, which leads me to my next question, which is so in the current implementations that you have, how many sort of live universities do you have and students are actually putting you know the academic credentials on a digit on a digital format where they could go to any sort of ministry here well the ministry here or go to any employer here and say oh look you know you could scan my barcode for example is that being deployed in, like has that already been deployed now if so like how many people are using it what's the result oh yeah plenty absolutely and i just wanted to point that attention back to one of the recent implementations that we did that we're particularly proud of which is united arab emirates university or uae university which was one of the most comprehensive to date and not just in terms of the size you know there's uh, i believe for 70,000 students and alumni that now have the opportunity to share their credentials digitally in this format. Not just from that perspective, but also the comprehensiveness of the type of documents that can be digitized as well. Everything from transcripts to diplomas to different letters and, and, and all of this that really broaden the spectrum of opportunities uh, as well for, for those students and uh, for administration. So uh, that, that was definitely one of the mo- most notable ones. Uh, another one is Zaid University, American University in Dubai, University of Dubai, uh, and others that's engaging in different ways for different types of credentials. And that's sort of of early emergence, uh, you can say, of this um, growing community or uh, network of institutions, which is, of course, tied very closely to the employers, right? So uh, who are also one of the main beneficiaries of this technology in the sort of secondary sense. So are you building a portal for each university that you're working with, or are you building like a mothership portal? I mean, ideally there's this sort of of one portal for everyone to tap into, Mm -hmm. but 
When you're saying, you said that we work with these universities in different ways, what does that really mean? Basically what I'm referring to is, let's say, the scope of the engagement or the, the type of the engagement. But uh, when you talk about these portals, I mean, the blockchain is accessible by anybody, right? So everybody participates and everybody is, well, generally everybody hosts uh, one of those portals on, on their side as well. So there, there's no, let's say, mothership per se, but everybody takes part in hosting a gateway to be able to query that blockchain and get particular information regarding those academic credentials. Is it permissioned to get access to the data? Or can anybody get access? Once it's on Taiwanese universities, can anybody just go to the portal, wherever it is? Or they have to have a username and login, and then if they have that, they can get access to the data? Mm -hmm. uh, well, well, the universities are, are permission, right? So in order to be able to issue documents, you have to understand, well, is this... Uh, institution accredited and is it permitted, let's say in this case, to, to be able to issue particular documents. And, and I think this is uh, the way to go in, in this case for, let's say, a national system where you're constantly accrediting or de-accrediting different institutions and you have to have an understanding of who is issuing uh, what documents, right? So in that regard, uh, it is permissioned from basically an issuance perspective, but from a verification perspective, if a student shares something with me, I'm able to verify that easily. So that's open to anybody, right? Because by definition, you know, I can share this, uh, these documents with anybody. So when yeah, you say sharing, sense. you mean uh, I'm in my app as a, as a user, I'm a student, I've just been accredited with a degree, and I go in my app and I share it to an email address. That person then gets access to the chain, to your visual version of the chain, mm -hmm. to then see the document there and confirm it. Exactly. It could be something like a unique link. It could be a, okay. a document that I attach in a job application or something like that. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And so this has, so from what I've read and from what we said as well, so this has been um, since last year, right? Like it's been implemented last year, the, this POC with different universities. So we, in, in the UAE, we started in 2017. Okay. Uh, was the, the earliest implementations. And we had a quite large uh, pilot that we did towards the end of 2017 okay. as well, early 2018. Okay. And uh, a lot of those have converted into uh, full engagement. So like uh, okay. UAU, for example, or Zayed University and others, which have made this available to all students, all alumni for virtually all documents. Um, so, and that's what I was referring to earlier okay. in terms of different types of engagements and right, no, uh, different documents, things like that. Yeah. Right. And so what about different engagements elsewhere globally? You mentioned the UN as well at one point. Could you talk a bit about that? Yeah. So one of the byproducts of implementing and, and achieving so much so early is that a lot of people started coming to us and asking, well, how did you do that? Right. Not just from a technical perspective, but also from an implementational perspective, from a strategic perspective. And in many cases, uh, they were from uh, different industries, different companies and so forth. And so one of the things we've really been trying to do recently is uh, help share more of that knowledge and help push that out into other sectors as well. And so... In that case, we've as well engaged in different projects in different sectors uh, around the world. You mentioned the United Nations. Uh, we're helping them as well through supply chains, so looking at digitizing mm -hmm. supply chains, using blockchain, and uh, other areas where blockchain can provide that sort of layer of uh, transparency, uh, authenticity, and so forth uh, in other areas. I did have another question, which is about with you actively implementing blockchain solutions, and I'm sure you've been interacting with others out there um, solving diff, you know, for different use cases, how far away do you think we are from like actual mainstream adoption 
from this technology? Well, that's a, that's a pretty big question. It, it, it's a tough one to answer because we, we always tend to uh, discount the future and nature of the present. And so every okay. year I, I, I always see, you know, that this is the year of blockchain. This is yeah. the year of blockchain. But it, it, it's really difficult to say because there's so many things that come up along the way mm-hmm. that a lot of us didn't expect, you know, especially from the startup perspective, even, you know, looking at uh, how can we really implement this at scale in government services, uh, public services, uh, financial industry, there's so many different elements around interoperability, governance that are emerging. Mm -hmm. So almost the farther we get along the path, you know, the farther we get, uh, the more implementations we see, the more questions naturally arise in terms of now we have all of these different engagements, implementations around the world. How do we look at interoperability, right? How do we look at governance? How do we look at who enforces what rules, where and what jurisdictions and so forth? So basically, the, the, fa- the faster we adopt, the, the more questions arise. So I think that there's uh, probably a few years out for sure. We're reaching that point where people are taking the technology seriously and uh, really seriously tackling, tackling a lot of those challenges that I mentioned earlier. And I think within the next few years, we'll see a lot more adoptions. So you might not notice it as an end user, mm-hmm. but uh, definitely that's going to be used as a, a lever or an, yeah. a way to create new efficiencies or new okay. digital opportunities. Imagine you weren't in education. What would be the next best application of blockchain for you? I think there's a lot of opportunities for blockchain and education, everything from gamification, looking at tokenization. And one of the big things that I personally like is sort of deconstructing learning, right? So going beyond a degree, going beyond a diploma to really first, from the university perspective, narrow down on what are the key learning outcomes that I as a student have gotten. So typically, you know, you see a name, you see a program, you see a course, you see a grade. But for me, let's say as an employer, that doesn't tell me a whole lot about what you did or what you learned and what you kind of achieved along the way. So by going digital, it opens up a lot of doors to be able to modularize both the credentials that represent your learning, but also the learning itself. So if you're able to deliver learning digitally and attach that to digital credentials and modularize those credentials, you can sort of break down education from very strict kind of fixed diplomas, courses, classes into something that's a bit more fluid. So I think that's uh, one of the biggest opportunities on the horizon. Basically, you want to be able to scalp how they got to an A and know how they did it and what made it happen. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. I like that angle. Yeah. yeah. Forcing proof. Proof of proof. <laughs> Here we go, a new one. Proof of grade. Proof of grade. I thought he was going to say... I just made up a new one. Yeah, POG. POG. Pogba, <laughs> that's all I could think about. I don't know if you know Pogba. No? Okay, forget it. <laughs> I think he's signed to do with football. Yeah, so he's a footballer who, who plays for Manchester United, greatest team in the world, and he's going to leave in the summer. Probably best for the, better for the team. Yeah. Sure. Anyhow. Okay, so you guys just finished uh, an amazing report, actually quite, quite deep in learning as well. For a lot of people who have been in the blockchain space, it's very methodical in the way it's approached. And that was with Smart Dubai yourself and okay. Dubai Blockchain Center. So how, how, how did that come about and, and what was the, the aim behind it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so as I was saying earlier, uh, both, both from all, all of our sides, the Dubai Blockchain Center, Smart Dubai and ourselves, we were accumulating a lot of experience from all the different uh, engagements and implementations of blockchain and our kind of experiences in the space. 
that we wanted to sort of share and condense into something that could be used as a sort of actionable handbook for um, executives, uh, innovation managers, and, and others in the space who are looking to implement practical blockchain projects either who are at the early stage or already implementing. So I think this report was a sort of combination of all of these different experiences into something that could be used to refer to when uh, implementing blockchain projects. So it goes over a lot of the common challenges that we saw. You know, the more we talked, the more we saw that regardless of the industry, regardless of the people, the type of projects, we were all running into very similar challenges. And so this report is a sort of attempt to put those all together to talk about what are the challenges out there and what are our recommendations and, vi- and views based on our experiences for how to mitigate or negate some of those risks. How long have you been, been in the enterprise space yourself? Well, quite some years now. So even just just in this space, you know, with EduChain, uh, we're one of the old guard, I guess, um, in terms of startups. And so because we kind of predated the whole ICO craze as well, and we were there from the very beginning when blockchain was just emerging as an interesting, novel, new concept uh, for the financial industry, which then exploded into all the new relevant industries we see today. Great, great. I think that's, I mean, I don't know if you've got anything. Yeah, I mean, we're we're literally tight for time now. But uh, Mark, thank you so much for coming on. You shared so much that I didn't know about. Like, I think we've been meaning to have a coffee for such a long time. I think this is our equivalent of a, of a catch-up, I guess. But yeah, if, if somebody wants to get in contact with you, how could they get in touch? Absolutely, yeah. Well, first first and foremost, thank you guys for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, I guess this is the sort of Ram- <laughs> Ramadan version of Ramadan, the coffee. Yeah. It's a calm yeah. down version. Yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I really appreciate that. And as for contacting me, it's uh, pretty easy. Mark at educhain.io. So cool. that, that's my name, M-A-R-K at uh, educhain, E-D-U-C-H. A-I-N dot I-O. Great stuff. Well, thank you so much, Mark, for sharing all that insightful knowledge. And we, yeah, we hope you could come on the show next time around. Absolutely. Thank Great. you. Right. Thank you. Thanks, man.